Black Clock Audio Tales, June 2019, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and The Last Man. Brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. Check out their brand new Dino Sound Slippers. Slippers make a roaring sound every three steps, made with green scaly fabric, soft plush uppers, foam footbeds, non-slip grips on the soles so you don't fall and three white claws on each foot. One size fits most, up to a woman's 10.5 and a men's 9. Footbed measures 10.5 inches. Black Clock Audio Tales is a daily podcast about weird fiction, gothic horror, I don't know, folklore, fantasy, ancient poems of rats and frogs fighting in a Homeric satire. Yeah, we got that too. We got a bunch of Lovecraft. We got a bunch of Robert E. Howard, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. We got it. I mean, we're Black Clock Audio Tales. Look for our podcast anywhere you find podcasts. We suggest Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and uh, why not go to Stitcher? Find us on the web at pgttcm.com and at Black Clock Audio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and Black Clock Audio Tales on YouTube, in case you feel like watching us on YouTube for some reason. Check out People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos on the last Tuesday of this month. I released one today, which is Memorial Day, and it's an episode where Cody Goodfellow talks about how much he loves Shoggoths, and how he, we're all Shoggoths. That's, that's the takeaway from it. I mean... He's not wrong, according to the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Anyway, check out the website over at pgttcm.com, edited by D.B. Spitzer, music by Kevin McLeod. The Chamber, Unseen Horror, The Voices. Produced at Badger's Drift Studio, find out how to visit and record with us at pgttcm.com. Help support the show by going to PayPal dot me slash pgttcm and donate a buck or five or pgttcm slash podbean.com and become a patron help the show by sharing rating liking or five star giving wherever you listen to rate or podcasts that sentence wrong help the show by sharing liking or five star giving wherever you listen to podcasts buy a cool shirt at pgttcm slash threadless.com pgttcm is part of the dark myths collective learn more at darkmyths.org all right and we are back with more frankenstein and today we've got bob with us bob can you uh let the listeners at home know who you are Hi, I'm uh, Bob Kester. I am an author in the... I, uh... <laughs> I, uh... My uh, biggest ongoing thing is a podcast uh, called Immunities, which is a, uh... Sort of the aftermath of a successful... Uh, about the aftermath of a successful uh, invasion of the Body Snatchers-like scenario where a few humans uh, have turned out to be immune to it and uh, how they... how that all works. Um also uh wrote a novel which is also an audiobook called insistent oracles which is about 
a couple of astronomers who sort of accidentally achieve first contact with some aliens. Um, and But I also did an hour-long audio drama called Companions, uh, which is sort of in a, a sci-fi realm that I find consider very close to where Frankenstein is. And so that was one of the things I was going to be talking about. Cool. Very cool. And uh, which... Uh, be more specific about that is just things that I learned about sci-fi horror from reading Frankenstein and other stuff from that era from like uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Island of Dr. Moreau which all just have some some you know they face some of the problems of that genre and they solve them in interesting ways I thought which uh, would be interesting to analyze all right and uh, what what were these problems that arise from the genre well, uh, one is, you know, since they're trying to mix sci-fi and horror, is that, you know, science, the whole, the whole point of science is for, to create, create uh, replicable results, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, once you've discovered something, then everybody should be able to do it. Yeah. Um, but if you want to have horror, especially if it's going to be sort of personal horror sort of thing, and it, there should be a sense of it being limited to something that, you know, that the to the characters in your story. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if it's going to be like cosmic horror, you know, a Lovecraftian type thing where like, you know, we're all we're constantly dan dancing on the edge of like the whole world being destroyed or something or, you know, an apocalyptic zombie type horror, then that's not as important. But for like sort of a long term story involving a limited number of characters, you want the 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 horror, you know, even if it comes out of science to be something that's sort of limited to those characters and. Uh, so that and, you know, that's one thing about it. And, you know, so the way they all do is to focus on you know your mad scientist type person all right and you know and so you know a it seems like only this mad scientist can you know create whatever super you know seemingly supernatural effect it is that creates the horror and b even they don't have total control over it hmm. uh which i think yeah you know, i think is interesting you know in the way you approach that like in jekyll and hyde he solves, you know, he, he keeps trying to solve his problem and he solved it at some point, but accidentally, and he doesn't know exactly when, you know, through a mistake, you know, he, like, you know, as often happens through science, especially at that time, you know, it's like, you know, you make your breakthrough by mistake because, you know, you did something other than what you were really planning to do and which is what Jekyll did, but he didn't know that he was doing it when he did it. And mm -hmm. so he doesn't know it, but, you know, so he can't do it again. Uh, whereas with, Frankenstein, I think it's interesting because it's more from the makeup of Victor Frankenstein himself that he he has this weird sort of self-education where he spends years and years reading, you know, like learning like more about alchemy and how alchemy works than like any modern person really would probably mm -hmm. know, yeah. and really believing in it all, and you know having this alchemical drive you know to find like the you know the root causes of things mm -hmm. which he considers at variance with the way like you know scientists work and then later he has to forget it all and learn science but it seems like that sort of sticks with him and is the reason why he unlike anybody else can like find this secret to the wellsprings of life which nobody else can find yeah and then you combine it with him immediately deciding that it's not something that anybody else should know so he's never going to tell anybody you know even hint at it to anybody mm -hmm. like uh, about how it works Hmm. Yeah, that's quite an interesting thing about, uh, I don't know, the sub-genre sub of science fiction horror that is mad scientists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, it's cool, you know, because they personify within themselves, you know, sort of the line between science fiction and horror. And, 
it becomes like you know a very character you know it keeps it keeps the characters of the story from being overwhelmed by the by the science or by the horror because this one person you know all the science and horror is sort of coming out of them mm -hmm. and so what you know what they decide to do their decisions are always the most important thing because that's you know that's you know like you know frankenstein frankenstein's monster sorry mm -hmm. is not going to be able to populate the world with creatures like himself unless dr frankenstein makes him a female uh to mate with and he ain't gonna so, yeah and, you know, and, and just like to let you know ken, ken Hyten and i had a conversation about whether or not it's okay to call frankenstein's creature frankenstein because his father was dr yeah, well, frankenstein and well, he could be certainly. like well Dr. Frankenstein's my father. Uh, just call me Frankenstein. <laughs> just call me Frankie. Yeah. <laughs> well, once I, I saw somebody who did a nice Hegelian thing on it, which is a you know, thesis. Yeah. Frankenstein is a monster. Antithesis, Dr. Frankenstein created the monster. Sure. Therefore, synthesis, Dr. Frankenstein is a monster. <laughs> <laughs> oh... It, 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 it always seems like any time Frankenstein is brought up, more than any other uh, classic monster, I feel, philosophy is is, is quick to follow. <laughs> oh, that's true. Well, it's partially because you know, he's very versed in it, you know, and like, sure. uh, and it seems like the whole book is, you know, some of it is Mary Shelley either exploring philosophy or trying to propagate philosophy of her mm -hmm. own, you know, and get people to, and a lot of interesting political messages she throws in along the way. She has a... Uh, what you would I would consider some pretty modern opinions about a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. She's like, <laughs> and she's sort of like, maybe if, you know, people were just a little more, you know, a little less crazy about the way they went around things, you know, maybe she has this whole vision of how, like, colonizing of the Americas might have gone better. Yeah. And, you know, and all this stuff. So she's definitely, like, wide-ranging ideas. But, you know, once again, she keeps the story very centered on those characters, even if the implications are, are, are worldwide. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that uh, Frankenstein makes a good blueprint for a science fiction horror, horror, I mean, gothic horror, or in, in, in your opinion, as a, as a writer creator? Oh, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, as I say, it's, you know, it, it faces some of the problems, which I haven't gotten to some of the other ones yet, you know, of that and solves them, I think, mostly, uh, mostly elegantly. I guess to a modern reader, including myself, you know, sometimes it seems like it a, a little more length than is absolutely necessary, but the, uh, but, uh, the, but, you know, we've had the benefit of people basically getting to, like, use her ideas and refine them for mm -hmm. a couple hundred years now, and, uh, she did not. Yeah. So, but I, you know, as a blueprint, I think it's, it's, it's really good. I really like, you know, this is, I'll just jump into another thing, which sure. is the structure of books of that time which is something that's often lost when you know in movie adaptations that well you the uh i think at this point is where you were really developing because then it, it also goes hand in hand with the science fiction horror thing that because the horror arises out of science in some sense it can arise sort of naturally out of the events that happen as opposed to being a some sort of ancient curse that just sort of like falls down on everybody like an enormous gauntlet falling from the sky and as a result, you could, if you told things strictly chronologically, 
you know, for somebody who just was interested in the genre content, that might not be anything. You know, if you just started with Frankenstein's birth and just told his story from that point and people didn't know that the monster was coming, mm-hmm. you wouldn't really get to the genre part until like a third or a half or three quarters of the way through the story. Um, but in a lot of these you know, Victorian period stories, they tell them like way out of chronological order, usually in a frame story from some outside observer. So you see from the beginning, like, you know, what the result of all this was. And then you go back and uh, see the earlier part and you get sort of a, you know, as Hitchcock would put it, you know, rather than just having the shot, you know, a, a normal story. And then suddenly the shock that something abnormal happens, you know, from the beginning, something abnormal is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you're just watching these people who don't realize it's going to happen, like, you know, getting farther and closer and closer to it, uh, which I really like. Nice. And uh yeah, so I really admire that the structure, and so she, you know, uses that structure well. And uh, I think Jekyll and Hyde is probably the best use of it. And once again, it's like a, you know, manages to compress it into a much shorter uh, thing. And uh, yeah, I've just reread the the beginning and end of Frankenstein, and I'd forgotten. I'm like, I knew it started and ended with the sea captain, but mm-hmm. I've forgotten just how much of him there yeah. is. Which, uh, which is something I think would be interesting if it was opened, you know, in an opened up thing. But within the book, you know, even knowing everything I know, I'm kind of like, I want to get to the fireworks factory. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> though it is interesting, sometimes if you like take yourself out a little bit more than like the book really does, because like Frankenstein, you know, Frankenstein's relationship with his sister, I remembered it as being odd and watching reading it this time. It's just freaky. Yeah. <laughs> he always refers to her as my more than sister. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the fact that this whole story is being told by Frankenstein to the captain who is then writing it in a letter that he's sending to his sister. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I was writing, you know, Frankenstein's about Frankenstein's relationship to his sister to my sister, I would feel very weird about it. Yeah. <laughs> I would probably try to tone things way down. Uh I'm more than sister, which I wonder if that was I, I don't know a lot about their biographies, but I know that, you know, Mary Shelley knew Byron and that Byron had weird relationships with his siblings. So hmm. there might be something about that in there. <laughs> and I mean, and it's not even limited to that because it's yeah. like, you know, she, she's also kind of his mother and yeah. kind of his daughter, you know, <laughs> she's like the whole package, a family package, like in one. Yeah. yeah. And, and in a way that kind of relationship is also, you know, sort of a, you know, especially like a stepbrother, stepsister mm-hmm. could be it's sort of a common Gothic element. Sure. Uh, and so I think one thing that the structure, you know, the sort of the structure of putting like one genre inside another, like through these like frame stories, mm-hmm. is that it lets you combine the different genres, you know, but like, you know, having one sort of be looking down on the other, I guess, is one bit. You know, like, so Frankenstein, you know, literally in the case of Dr. Frankenstein, he's like moving into this like science fiction world but he's doing it through sort of an older magical world mm-hmm. you know because because of his study of the alchemists and you know plus constant metaphors he's making about you know demons and stuff and you know and him coming from this sort of gothic tradition and uh whereas in dracula it's what you know it's uh kind of almost the opposite which is like an ancient horror sort of like intruding upon the modern world and like what affect that you know what that would look like you know in a world you know vampires suddenly appeared in a world that had steamships and telegraphs and yeah. stuff like that so that's fun and uh and then you know putting everything in letters you know it you know so much of it in letters also like a letter is such a sort of business-like thing you know, even if it's a, a personal letter that it takes this like magical stuff and kind of reduces it down to 
words in a in an interesting way which in itself like sort of lays a level of science on it you know like you know these are observations that somebody is making you know so not you know not something that's happening like with that with the, with the complete immediacy even though it's like you know still pretty chilling to hear about especially since they do uh a trick that's used on TV a lot, I guess, these days, which mm -hmm. is that, you know, you know that this character is going to survive, you know that this character is going to survive, so you have a, a bunch of other characters who can be attrited down one by one, and, you know, the way that they die is increasingly horrifying. Sure. Yeah, so you have people you can worry about who you don't know are going to survive, and as is often in that case, practically all of them get killed. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, another le lesson, possibly a slightly less... Uh, technical lesson I learned about this is not to have a character named Clerval. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no matter what the, uh, no matter what the tone of the scene is, I think as soon as they mention Clerval, I'm just completely out of yeah. it. <laughs> like, even at the end, you know, like one of the, you know, when the monster's giving one of its greatest speeches and it's like, you know, do you think that I enjoyed hearing the dying sighs of Clerval? <laughs> like, <laughs> I could just see the captain at the time. It's like, I attempted to keep my composure and not snicker at the name of the at the sound of the name Clerval. <laughs> Although looking at him, I hadn't really thought about this before, but he reminds me a lot of, and this is back to my ill-spent youth uh, reading a lot of Anne Rice, mm -hmm. uh, 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 Lestat's friend Nicholas from uh, the Vampire Lestat, mm -hmm. where like Lestat is like the scion of this sort of decaying gentry family, and Nicholas is the scion of this rising bourgeois family, and they're both like sort of the dissidents in their families, and they become good friends with each other and go off to the big city and you know so that seemed like uh i wonder even if rice might have been inspired by the by victor and clerval and uh thinking that there was a lot to be like filled in, a lot of gaps to be filled in in that relationship which he proceeded to do it is kind of interesting that you know they put them in geneva which is like sort of perfect because like she can just bring in pretty much any european ethnicity and oh, they, yeah. could, they could live within 50 miles of there because you know it's Italian and French and German, like all mm -hmm. smashed up on each other. So, like, pretty much all the Gothic traditions can, like, uh, provide her with background. Sure. A little bit off to one side, especially. It was just that, uh, you know, thinking about the Lord Byron connection to Frankenstein, mm -hmm. about how with stories like this, they, they kind of lend themselves to uh, parallels between the making of the story and the story itself and the adaptations of the story, because they're all about, you know, some level of hubris and creativity and mania and monomania and mm -hmm. obsession and things like that and uh and the big one that that reminded me of is you know another sci-fi horror thing the island of dr moreau yeah which then got made into the movie you know various movies island dr moreau but like including the 90s one which oh. ever the, doc, the documentary about that lost soul the strange oh, yeah yeah family. and it's uh it's definitely worth seeing but you know it, but you know, you can see how he himself is sort of one of these same heroes and sure you and i got both had the opportunity to see him i don't know if you've actually met him at, richard uh, stanley yeah yeah at the lovecraft yeah lovecraft festival yeah i had a chance to briefly say hey but <laughs> 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 we were supposed to be on the same panel at one point in time but i had to go to the bathroom and they're like oh no db's not here okay uh get chris over there and put him on the panel okay and i sat down and it was like all right <laughs> not <on> the panel <laughs> yeah that's how those things work but it's kind oh, of yeah. nice that he's gotten to sort of <laughs> work his way up to filmmaking by making love you know by uh, channeling his mania into lovecraft stuff you know, but uh, oh, but if, yeah, if you get to see this, the the documentary about that they made about uh, his attempt to make uh, Island of Dr. Moreau, it's pretty amazing. I mean, oh, it's kind yeah. of like 
It's kind of like uh, Terry Gilliam making uh, Don Quixote. Don Quixote. You know, it's like <laughs> there's no way that there's not going to be like metaphors arising out of that, and you know, <laughs> and, and and they were there plentifully. I still haven't seen. I mean, it's finally uh, been made. I, yeah. I still haven't seen that, but I definitely intend. Yeah, no, no, I definitely intend on seeing it someday, but I'm also like, do I want to see it? If I see it, then it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my wife's a film critic, uh-huh. Natasha Robbins, oh, nice. uh, and she uh, she saw it at a festival like months ago, mm-hmm. and I keep forgetting that, and then so she'll say something about, oh, the movie's coming out at such and such a date, and I was like, I don't believe it. <laughs> and she's like, I saw it. I saw it on a screen. I saw the entire thing from beginning to end. It's like, I, I, I just don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's almost like hearing that Yadorowski's Dune is going to be made. Or... <laughs> exactly. It's like she's visited the uh, the library in the Sandman comics where all the un- unwritten works are. And she's yeah. like, managed to with all on. <laughs> we snagged this from a parallel universe. <laughs> Um, so speaking of movies, uh, something I keep talking to everyone about mostly is um, so Frankenstein movies. Do you, do you have ones that you think are worthwhile and ones that you're like eh, maybe shy away from that one? Um, I think I mean I know this is probably the most controversial one mm-hmm. is my favorite one, which is uh, well well recognizes it is uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein from what was that the '90s? The one with like, De Niro in it. Yeah, yeah, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think, you know, it's almost exact. I mean, it's fun that they called it that, and I imagine it's deliberate, because it, sure. it, it, I think it, its place in the Frankenstein canon is almost exactly where Bram Stoker's Dracula is in the Dracula canon. Yeah. You know, in, like, attempting to, like, readapt it and, you know, adapt parts of the book that, you know, almost never get made into movies. Sure. And then going off in crazy directions of its own which you know are not like the old movies or like the old books yeah and or like the original book but i, I you know i really appreciate that and uh and it's just you know it, it's obviously the only one that really felt like you know had any connection to the book yeah like a, kind of so i you know and i think i really like yeah i think brando was good as that character do you know did he direct that too or was that somebody else? i don't I, I i don't know i don't know uh, i tend to like him yeah. acting when he's not directing himself but, <laughs> so that's what I, uh, yeah no i i remember like being just really kind of irritated with that specific frankenstein because i was like ah yeah they're covering the book stuff but that's not what I wanted. <laughs> I'll read I the they book. I remember the creepiness of the relationship with the sister. Pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I I, I was uh, talking to let's see who was I? I was talking to Ken Height and Ross Lockhart about Frankenstein, and one that keeps popping up in my mind is Sting as Victor Frankenstein in The Bride from that oh, right. 80s Frankenstein movie. <laughs> Which might be the first one that I saw front to back. Yeah. Um. I think about it, you know, just because that's the age I was, you know, sure. I was like, you know, in my very early teens mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. tweens, something like that when that came out. And so I remember watching that, which it's funny because unlike like modern horror remake things like uh, like Rob Zombie's Halloween, where, oh, you know, yeah. he's got a, you know, if he has a new Halloween story, he's basically going to give you 40 minutes. That's the entire old movie and yeah. then show you, you know, and build this like huge long thing. Whereas the bride, you know, they spend about a minute <laughs> summing yeah. up like the, the Frankenstein story, and then they just assume you've seen it, and then just move forward from there. Yeah, and uh, I can really appreciate. You know, that, that's really fun. You know, like just just to count on the uh, 
in the uh, literacy of your audience like that, you know, as opposed to like, all right, uh, they, we're going to show you Peter Parker getting written, bitten by a radioactive spider again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Batman's parents are going to die one more time. Yeah, there have only been three versions of this in the past 20 years, so you might not have missed them all. It's sure, and that can definitely be said with superhero movies and a lot of uh, the classic horror films. It's like we... It's like Frankenstein, Dracula, we don't need to know their origin story, and most of the time we never get their origin story. It's true. And now that I think about it, I'd seen other, like, alloyed Frankensteins. Like, I saw, was it Frankenstein meets the Wolfman? Mm -hmm. For some reason, just completely at random at some point, you know, yeah. which is an interesting attempt at a movie. <laughs> sure. Sure, but, that's you know, like... Uh... Just like one of the first attempts of, like, well, this guy's like this, and this guy's like this, so, like, you know, you know Lawrence Talbot wants to learn how to die, so he'll try to find the secrets of life and death and who would have those dr frank which is that's another thing that people you know in terms of like mixed genre that sure. people could study which is that you know it, it follows one of the, the basic rules which is that you know if you're going to do a funny movie within a genre you should still follow the rules of that genre sure yeah and i think mel brooks is actually really good at that in that one like mm -hmm. probably more so than in some of his other you know because like his star wars parody i think he doesn't care about star wars as much yeah. as he cares about Frankenstein. Yeah. So even though it's really funny, it doesn't. You don't feel it. You know, you don't feel the emotion of it. I think as mm -hmm. much as you do Young Frankenstein. Yeah. So, uh, do you have any other things that you wanted to? You think people should know about Frankenstein, and Frankenstein's well, monster? <laughs> Either of them, both of them. I mean, they're kind of inseparable. Yeah. Like, all the way up to the end. So uh, there's no point in uh, sweating the difference too much. Oh sure. uh, no, I think I've covered pretty much all of it. The. Uh, I guess I could talk a little bit about uh, applying these rules a little bit. Sure. I just, so I made this Companions is this one hour long radio play type thing. And it's basically there are these three, there are these space stations out in space that beam energy back to Earth. And they've learned that they that they work best if they just have one person running mm -hmm. them. And uh, so there's three of them that are important to it. And they're, they can't, they can only communicate through, they can't communicate through real time messages. They have to sort of send messages. So mm -hmm. it sort of lends itself right there to sort of an epistolary structure like frankenstein has wait just a second i'm letting a cat out no problem bye bye cat okay <laughs> and uh and then in science fiction can actually bring back other parts of that too because you know since you're surrounded by computers it's kind of like how characters in victorian horror tend to be surrounded by servants and uh you know who are kind of half characters mm -hmm. and uh and basically one of these three like uh figures how to, how to generate uh basically virtual life okay. sort of along the lines of uh, star trek the next generation holographic characters and sees that the other two commanders like each other and so sort of gifts each of them a virtual version of the other one to be their companion so that they're not like out in space all by themselves mm -hmm. and then things on all three stations sort of develop from there in uh what I wouldn't say is, ex well, I won't say what direction it goes in, but it goes in a direction. <laughs> All right. And uh, so you can uh, find out uh, more about that at playcompanions.com. Okay. Where there's, uh, it's as I say, it's an hour long. It's a, it's a streaming version, a downloadable version, or there's a YouTube version that has like abstract animation cool. to sort of, you know, it's not, it's not like full character animation, but it's mm -hmm. something to just sort of keep your eyes occupied while you're listening to it. Right. And if people and, uh, want to track down your other stuff, everything that you were talking about in the head of the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, Immunities, uh, yeah. my podcast, you can find it at immunities.com. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. Um, 
immunitiesdrama.com. Okay. There we go. Somebody already some medical person grabbed immunities.com. No right. problem. I'll, I'll make and, sure uh, I put a link in the show notes for everyone. Cool. Yeah. And in Sister of Oracles, the uh, novel that I mentioned before can be found on Amazon and Audible. Cool. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on to uh, Black Clock Audio Tales and talking Frankenstein with us. Oh, well, thanks for providing me a place to do so. Yeah. I, uh, these are things that have been bubbling around for a long time, and sure. it's nice to finally sort of get them get them straight in my head. Yeah, no, anytime uh, you want to come on and talk gothic horror, science fiction, anything like that, happy to have you on. All right, well, thanks for keeping the spooky alive. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, and uh, we'll talk to you in the future, Bob. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.